0: this message dropped into my spirit and then I started, you know, kind of keeping track of how many times I sigh in a given day. And one day I calculated that I sighed 432 times. It was a particularly trying day. But, you know, sighs come in every shape and form. And one is, you know, the kids want Fruit Loops and I just poured Cheerios. <sighs> you know, the, the other one is you've got this big deadline at work. When are you going to get me those numbers? You know, you sigh. One is, uh, man, these jeans. I don't remember being this tight. You know, you sigh that way. Or, you know, honey, thank you so much for the bathroom scale for my birthday. You know, we sigh that way. Some of you probably looked on the front row and you're like, man, Pastor Frankie's not preaching tonight. Some of you, maybe. <laughs> We're in church, you can be honest. But, you know, we all know how to sigh. You know, some of us are side sires, you know. <sighs> in fact, let me hear your best sigh right now. Oh, man, that's pretty good. Somebody over here is a professional. <laughs> that's pretty good. Some, some of us sigh. So how many of you guys are, are lip mumblers when you sigh? <laughs> Any of those? It's not very ladylike. I'm sure the ladies are like, no, that's not how I sigh. Ladies sigh like, Whew. you know, you kind of, who, who does their, chi- their cheeks like a chickmunk? You know? Some of us do the turn inside. Whew. Like we got to get out of the situation, you know? We're the hair tossers. We are, we've all got these different kind of trademark sighs. My husband has a tell. I don't know if you guys know, you know, your tell, but my husband will do this right before it's coming down. You know what I mean? And I'm just thankful the Holy Spirit gives me about five seconds <laughs> so I can start praying. And Todd said, my tell is that when he's talking to me and he sees me go to talk and, he, and I don't talk. And I said, that's not my tell. He's like, no, it's, it's a tell. because. And he said, you're like a pump shotgun. You're just getting the velocity ready. You're like, oh, I'm going to wait, mm, wait a little bit longer. I'm going to make sure it's a humane kill and I'll take you down right there. <laughs> <laughs> but we all sigh. And I was thinking about what is a sigh and how does a sigh fall into place. And I realized that a sigh is at the crossroads of I can't go on and I can't give up. That's where we sigh. I can't go on and I can't give up. You know, Walgreens has this great logo that they're located at the corner of happy and healthy. (laughs) There are not many Walgreens in Saraville. Saraville is located at the corner of I cannot go on and I cannot give up. (sighs) That's Saraville. How many of you guys have lived there before, have been there? You're my neighbors, wonderful. Property values are going up. It's a very good neighborhood. Well, the fact of the matter is, That Jesus lived at this crossroads of I can't give up and I can't go on. And Jesus lived in a sigh. And some of you are going, what? Jesus had human feelings. He was part man, part God. How is this possible? And I'm here to tell you, yes. Jesus was fully man and fully God, and he did have moments that he sighed. And we're going to dive into the word tonight and say, well, Lord, if you had moments where you sighed, then surely something supernatural can come out of a sigh. So, Lord, what do I need to do when I'm at the crossroads of I can't go on and I can't give up? And some of you are going, well, when was Jesus ever at that crossroads? Well, we're fixing to get into Easter. And Jesus says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I cannot go on. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I can't give up. He's right there in the middle. Another time Jesus is saying, Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't go on. But into your hands I commit my spirit, but I can't give up. Jesus lived and walked at those crossroads, and I'm here to tell you that if he spent any time there at the corner of I can't give up and I can't give on, go on, then you and I are probably going to spend some time there as well. So we might as well be prepared, and we might as well get in a place where we can turn a sigh into the supernatural. Amen? All right, so let me hear one more time your best sigh. Oh my gosh, the professional was asleep over here. I didn't hear it again. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Better late than never. Thank you. Well, we're going to be in Mark 7 tonight. If you want to open your Bibles up to Mark 7. And they realized that I was reading through, you know, what is a sigh, and I was studying psychology today. I guess it's some kind of a journal. And they said, you know, every human being on the planet sighs, whether you have an amazing wealth or you're very, very poor, whether you're an American or you're Chinese, whether you're incredibly educated or you're illiterate, everybody on the planet sighs. It's, it's just innate to us. And they said, the reason we sigh is because the human body has to have a mental and a physical reset button. And that's what a sigh is. And I love that, that it says in Psalms 130 that he knows our frame that he's mindful of us that we are but dust. And I love that God knew that we're our heads would pop off unless we could sigh. Like there's only so much that we can physically and emotionally process before we've got a like a steam kettle. <sighs> Let it go. You know what I mean? And so I was thinking about this story. My kids were like probably four and two or five and, and three, and I was coming home from church, and we would never go out to eat right after church. You know, we, we just, I didn't want to pay money to tie shoes all day long during my meal. You know, that's what it was like to take a three- and a five-year-old out to dinner. So I'd come home, I'd fix them lunch, and then put them down for a nap. And I hadn't read a magazine in probably ten and a half years. And this Sunday afternoon, I thought, well, I'm just going to relax, and I'm going to read a magazine. I've heard they're very nice. I haven't seen one, you know, since Teen Beat. Couple years back. So I put the kids down. I'm in a different wing of the house. And about an hour later, I'm basking in the glow of my successful parenting. I'm like, I'll write books one day. I'll teach. People should do what I do. I'm good at it. And about that time, about an hour's passed. And so I'm like, gosh, got to get the kids up. Let's go ahead and wake them up. And my youngest one meets me in the hall. And I see that he is white from his knees to the top of his feet. And I think to myself, oh, that scamp, he got into the diaper cream. This is the stuff you post on Facebook. This is the stuff that will make you money when you write your book, ha, 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 ha. And I get a little bit closer and I'm like, that smells awful lot like paint to be diaper cream. And I hear giggling and I don't think I'm a successful parent anymore. I opened the guest bedroom door, and my two children have opened a Rubbermaid container in the bottom of the guest bedroom closet, pulled out a five-gallon paint bucket, found a screwdriver I do not know where. For all I know, they could have run to Ace Hardware while I was reading the magazine. (laughs) Pried open the lid, have finger-painted a crib mattress. At some point, there was a foot race because I have white feet footprints all over the bedroom. It was like a dog track. They had chased each other. Someone had taken a fall because I had two perfectly imprinted hands on the guest bedroom wall and half a cheek, just like that. You want to know why God gives you the ability to sigh? Because he doesn't want you to do 15 to 20 <laughs> for involuntary manslaughter because your head popped off and you made a bad choice. You ever be so angry, I had to close the bedroom door. Actually, I opened it again and I put the children in the bathtub and closed the curtain. And I had to walk away and my husband's like, hey, you kids ready for dinner? We ready to go? I said, we don't have children anymore. (laughs) I'm like, I'm doing my Lamaze breathing. I was like, I thought I'd only have to use this one time when they came. I didn't realize I was going to have to use it a second time to do anger management now. So, the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, I know why God gives us the ability to sigh. He doesn't want our head to pop off, and He doesn't want us to end up killing our children at the last minute decision because He knows our frame and He's mindful of us. And so, with that in mind, we turn to Mark 7, and we're going to be down in verse 31. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible. And I'll just set the stage for you. Jesus is at the very height of his ministry. He has healed the leper, he has healed Peter's mother in law. You know, they have lowered the man down on the mat, they opened up the roof and they brought the man down. Jesus is just all the talk of Galilee and Judea. And he's making the religious establishment a little bit uncomfortable because Jesus is the best magnet that ever walked the planet. Jesus says that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so what's happening? Crowds are just being drawn to his teaching. And the word tells us that no man come to the Father unless drawn by the Son. And so people are just connecting to his ministry. He's like a tractor beam because he is just bringing people right to the Father. And it's making the establishment a little bit nervous. So he says, you know what? disciples, we're going to leave Galilee, we're going to leave Judea, and we're going to go up to Tyre and Sidon. And I'm going to do a little bit of ministry there, and that's where we pick it up in verse 31. And it says, soon after this, Jesus, coming back from the region of Tyre, passed through Sidon onto the Sea of Galilee, through the region of Decapolis, the ten cities. And they brought to him a man who was deaf, And had difficulty in speaking. And they begged Jesus, the crowd begged Jesus to place his hand upon him. And taking the deaf man aside from the crowd privately, he thrust his fingers into the man's ears and spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed as he said, Apatheia which means be opened. If you have the NIV Bible, it says that he deeply sighed. So we have this situation where Jesus needs a mental and a physical reset. And he's sighing. And we're going to dissect what he does when he sighs so that when you and I need a physical and mental reset and we go to sigh, our feet go in the direction that the Lord would have our feet go because that sigh is a pause to be able to stop hear the father's voice and go forward instead of erring in our anger or erring in our sin amen so let's see what let's see what Jesus did if you're taking notes the first thing is a sigh can precede a miracle When you're at the corner, I can't go on and I can't give up. The first thing is that a sigh can precede a miracle. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes um, I feel like I've got to be like, praying the phone book. I've got to be reading like 10 chapters a day in my Bible. I have got to be like shouting down heaven in order to bring victory in my life. When I start sighing, I don't feel particularly victorious. I don't feel particularly holy. Like, yeah, I've got this one. And the thing that I love about this snapshot of Jesus is that he's not using a lot of words. He used one word in Aramaic, two words in English, be opened. And sometimes it's not what you say in your sighing situation, but it's what you pray. You know, if you are talking more about your situation than you are praying about your situation, chances are your sigh is not going to proceed a miracle. And the difference between talking about your situation and praying about your situation is sort of like the difference between water and steam. They're both H2O, two hydrogen atoms, one oxygen atom. But this is what talking about your situation sounds like. You know, I'm going to have to have a new car. My car is on its last leg, and I just, oh gosh, I don't really think we can afford a new car right now. I just love not having a car payment it's finally paid for. But my commute, i got to commute to Houston. It's like 60 minutes. If I get stuck on the beltway or if I get stuck on 45, this is like a nightmare. i got to have a new car. That's what talking about your situation's like. That's like water. This is what praying about your situation sounds like. Lord, I thank you for transportation. I thank you, Lord, that transportation is not a luxury but a need. And I thank you, Lord, that you will supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. So, Lord, you know my car. You know the situation I'm in. And I thank you that either it's not going to wear out or you're going to provide me with new wheels. Amen. I talked about the same situation. In one situation, I watered my flesh. It was like water that fell and rained, and it nurtured my flesh. In the other situation, I put a little heat behind my words. Instead of watering my flesh, it was like a vapor that went to heaven. It was like incense in the throne room. And when you sigh, you're in a position to not just talk about your situation, but to pray about your situation. The word says that Jesus said, as he sighed, he said, The air is leaving your mouth anyway. (sighs) Put some words behind it, some prayer behind it. Go ahead; It's already passing your vocal cords. And sometimes I read an email and I say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. That's all I can say. That's in the sigh. Or sometimes I see a situation and I say, Lord, I thank you that I'm supposed to see what I'm supposed to see. I'm supposed to hear what I'm supposed to hear. And you'll keep me from saying too much, (laughs) you know? So that's the difference. When we, when we talk about our situation, our flesh is going to get a little bit stronger. And we'll feel good. We'll feel good for about 15 minutes. But when we pray about our situation, a sigh can precede a miracle. Amen? amen. Y'all got to help me preach tonight. I'm used to teaching in Rev, and we get a little hallelujah, little amen action, you know what I mean? A little well. Okay, you guys are a little green. That's all right. (laughs) There you go. Those are the Rev girls. They're helping me out a little bit. Well, number two, second thing, if a sigh can precede a miracle, then a sigh makes you prioritize. You know, um, I was thinking about how God gives us what we need in the order that we need it. I have this habit of praying and asking the Lord for something, and then I coach him on the best means of delivery for that thing. Anybody else do that? Now, Lord, you know that woman is driving me crazy. And so you are going to need, and then da 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 da, da. And the Lord's like, you know what, Sarah? I'm trying to work some crazy out of you. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that's not what I had in mind. I I didn't think you would use that tool. I didn't expect iron to sharpen iron quite that way. I was kind of hoping you could use a little leather on me. You know, I don't want it. I don't want it hard. So that's the thing. A sigh makes you prioritize. And I think that by the time I sigh about a situation, we've gotten down to brass tacks. You don't sigh the first time you go around the barn. You sigh about the fifth time you've gone around the barn on something. You're like, no, y'all, we're, we need to get down to business here. I'm tired of having this conversation. I'm tired of being at this place of I can't go on and I can't give up. Something's got to give. And so we are going to get down to brass tacks, and I'm going to start to see what exactly I need to prioritize in this situation. And that's what a sigh forces us to do. It forces us to triage our situation and start prioritizing our situation pretty quick. And so when you think about priority, I'm always sort of reminded of the story of Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament, because he's sort of the poster child of how not to live (laughs) and how to... Walk in disobedience. And so I kind of always like to learn from others and say, Lord, if I can learn from their mistakes, then maybe I don't have to make them firsthand. You know what I mean? That's what it was like being the oldest. You know, my sisters would always try to get me to test the electric fence, you know? And then they would learn from my example, you know? So like I'd come home late from curfew. Oh, yeah, mom and dad care about curfew. Note to self. You know what I mean? I'd bring a boy home. You know? Oh, mom and dad care about that too. So I know what it's like to kind of pioneer the way. And so I kind of read the word and I say, now, Lord, you don't change. Your word doesn't change. And so let me learn from somebody like Saul so I don't fall into those same mistakes. And so Saul's anointed king, it's in 1 Samuel 15. You don't have to read it now, but you can read it when you get home. And Samuel comes to him and says, look, you got to go wipe out the Amalekites, they, God has determined that they cannot be on this planet anymore, and you can't spare a living thing. Man, woman, child, livestock, gold, riches, it all goes up. It's all going to be blotted out. And so Saul goes and, and intends on being obedient, and so he goes about carrying out the Lord's word. Well, he starts getting the thick of the battle, and he starts noticing, hey, some of this stuff is nice, some of this livestock is worth a lot of money. Some of this gold is good. Oh, I know. We'll keep it for ourselves, and then we'll make an offering to the Lord. Because God will be okay with it. Sure, you know, I'm not exactly doing what he told me, but I'll try to make it okay in the end by giving him a cut, <laughs> by making it okay with him and, and trying to, to, to make it an offering. Because an offering is an offering, you know? And so we sit here and we see where Saul has this very specific recipe of what he's supposed to do. And you and I will get a very specific instruction sometimes, or we get an entire book of them. And we sit here and we're like, you know what? I know that's what the instructions say. I know what that recipe says. But I'm just going to go ahead and make it an offering. And you'll be okay with that. Right, God? It's a little bit out of order. It's a little bit unorthodox. It's a little gray or contrary to your word. But you're going to bless it in the end, right? And so we sit here and we see this guy who is in the middle of a party And Samuel comes up to him and says, what are you doing? And he said, hey, good news. I obeyed the Lord's command. And I love Samuel's response. He said, what is the lowing of cattle and the bleating of sheep in my ear? They're all supposed to be dead. And Saul says, Well, I was gonna cut the Lord in on that. I was gonna make it an offering. And then he starts to unravel. I feared the people. The people decided to keep some of the stuff, and then I figured we'd make it an offering and we'd be okay with that. I was at Bucky's on my way to Kerrville for spring break, and they had this plaque you can hang above your kitchen window, and it said, God bless this mess. And I couldn't quite figure out why it chafed me a little bit. You know what I mean? And then I realized that's a little bit like Saul. Lord, I know I didn't do everything like you told me to. I'm a little bit out of order. These aren't your priorities. But you go ahead and you bless it anyway, okay? In the last verse of this scene, Samuel tells Saul, look, you're not going to be king over Israel anymore. If the Lord can't trust you to carry out a lawful order, then your ceiling, your leadership ceiling has been reached. And he's got to find a new shepherd for his people. And it says in verse 30 that Saul told Samuel, I know I have sinned, but honor me anyway. And so many times you and I get in a place where we go out of order we, we take God and we say, Lord, I know you asked for a souffle, but I'm going to just make you soup because food is food, right, God? <laughs> I'm just going to put it all in this pot and we're going to make something. It's going to be all right. We go out of order. We lose priority. And then we say, Lord, I know I've sinned, but will you honor me anyway? Instead of, Lord, I know I've sinned, forgive me and restore me. Make me clean again. <laughs> the way of life is to know you've sinned. And to ask the Lord to make you clean. Instead of, Lord, I know I've sinned, but honor me anyway, right? It's all an offering. And so when you sigh, when you get to that place where you're like, you start to prioritize. And you start to pay really close attention to the Lord's voice. Because you want to make sure your next step is the step he has for you. Because you don't want to get out of line. You don't want to get out of order. Because you want to make sure, Lord, is for me and my house We will serve the Lord, and the next step I take is going to be the one you have for me. You know, in Psalms or Proverbs, it says that the steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord, and I always thought that was interesting, that it wasn't the minute, the week, the day, the month, but literally that our lives are lived a step at a time. And every time you and I sigh, we make a decision on where our step's going to go next, and we have an opportunity to prioritize So Mark 7, Jesus pulls the man out of the crowd and he says, you know what? The crowd's telling me to heal you. The crowd's telling me to put my hands on you. You know what? I'm not gonna do it the way the crowd wants it done. I'm gonna do it the way the father wants it done. And he pulls the man out of the crowd and he doesn't put his hands on him. He puts his fingers in his ears and he sighs and he says, be opened. You know, I love that God always looks for what's best for us. You may, we're tempted to look to our left or to our right and say, well, it was okay for them, or they did it this way and it was okay, but God's like, you know what, I'm not taking you where I'm taking them. The way I'm telling you to do it is the best way for you to do it. And so I told you to wipe out the Amalekites. I sent you my word and I told you to do it. You started looking at the plunder and started thinking twice about whether or not that was a good call. You and I aren't sent to wipe out the Amalekites. We're told to do other things. I told you to speak life to your husband. Oh, but he bought me a scale for my birthday. Strictly hypothetical. You know, I told you to volunteer. I told you... To tithe. I told you to love your neighbor. I told you, he tells us to do things all the time. And you and I face a choice as to whether or not we're going to prioritize his word and prioritize his instruction. And a sigh makes you prioritize. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about what was it like to be this guy in Mark 7? To be completely deaf, you're surrounded by this crowd of people. You know they're talking, you know they're yelling, they're begging Jesus to put their hands on you. You're just trying to kind of read lips and follow along because you've been deaf your whole life. But what was it like to be this guy, to get pulled aside by this man That's why Jesus pulled him aside, because he knew the man couldn't hear him say, come with me. That's how good God is. He will meet you where you're at. If you're in a deaf season, you can feel his hand. And if you can hear, you'll hear his words. So he pulls the guy aside, and he talks to him privately. And I've always wondered, what was it like to be that guy, to hear for the first time? And I found this video and thought, that's it. And I wanted to share it with you guys. Take a look. Okay, so we're gonna turn the implant on. She's gonna hear something. We don't really know what. Maybe just be kind of noisy. Maybe kind of static. But we'll just see what she And then you're just gonna hear some beeping noises. implant got hit. pretty All right. It's like so close. You back on? I know. Hi, Cooper. Hi, Cooper. (laughs) Hi, Cooper. There you go. Read out? What do I sound like? <laughs> <laughs> You're confused? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you hear your mom say something? I love you. <laughs> I don't want to hear myself cry. want to hear myself cry. Can you hear me? Can you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, I'm not really. Well, us go. <laughs> now your voice sounds different. Really? Yeah. Yes. That's right. yeah, I have i Can you hear your your yeah. voice? Yeah, I can. I Cool. <laughs> cool. I gotta tell you guys, I don't even know those people. We don't know those people. They're complete strangers. But doesn't your heart rejoice? Like I'm crying just because I'm so happy that they can hear. And I think, you know, my last point that I'm going to close with is that a sigh is an opportunity to be alone with Jesus. That Jesus prioritizes intimacy. He could have healed the man in the crowd. The woman with the issue of blood was healed in the middle of the crowd. He could have done anything, but Jesus prioritizes intimacy, and he's always looking for an opportunity to pull you and I out of the crowd, to look into our face, and to say, be opened. To heal us, to touch us, to make us whole. Because you know what? He wanted to see the guy's face. He wanted to glory in the wholeness. He wanted to share the joy. Did you guys see Cooper's joy when he heard his mother's voice for the first time? His expression. You know, I love that because I thought that's how the guy looked in Mark 7 when Jesus said, be opened. The first thing he heard was his Savior's voice. And he's like, whoa, this man does all things excellently. That's what the end of that verse says in Mark 36, 7 verse 36. This man does all things excellently. And he does them excellently because he does them individually. He doesn't breathe on a bunch of people and they all get healed, but Jesus meets each of us where we are in the moment we are in at the crossroads of I can't go on and I can't give up, and he's sitting right there on our side, and he says, you know what? Be open, be healed, be whole, know me, know peace, whatever it is. And I'm always touched by that, and I'm just thankful that that's our God. That our God doesn't see a mass of humanity, but he sees us as individuals with individual needs. You know, a sigh, when you have a sigh, the enemy will tell you, you just need a nap? Oh, you need a vacation. You need to call your girlfriend and talk to her about it. You need to look in the mirror and practice your argument and then go rip that guy's head off. (laughs) Hypothetically speaking, of course. (laughs) But a sigh is really the Holy Spirit's way of saying, this can be a supernatural turning point. This is going to teach you how to prioritize. And this is your opportunity to be alone with me. And I'll tell you what to do next. And you're going to leave this place and this sigh whole. Doors opened and healed. So I want to invite you to stand up tonight. And I want to give you the same opportunity that Jesus gave the man in the crowd. It says he pulled him away privately. And you could have a crowd in your life that is telling you, you need to do it this way. Everybody who's ever done this is doing it this way. You need to go take care of it this way. You need to read this book. The crowd is telling you what you need to do. And Jesus is here tonight to pull you away from the crowd and he's here to speak to you and to minister to you individually to put his fingers in your ears and open them for him to touch your tongue and be loosed when i was talking about jesus and priority james 1:19 says that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen i love that jesus knew that the man needed to hear more than the man needed to speak And sometimes you and I are at this crossroads and we're like, Lord, I think I need this. I think I need to, I need, I need this. I need you to move in this situation. And the Lord's like, I know what you need. And I know the order that you need it. So I'm going to open your ears before I loose your tongue. And so tonight I want to give you the same opportunity that Jesus gave the man in the crowd to leave your seat. And to meet him in this altar because he is still in the business of healing. He is still in the business of wholeness. He is still in the business of prioritizing intimacy. And some of you are holding on to your situation because you don't want the Lord to handle it because you don't think he's going to handle it the way you think it needs to be handled. The last verse, even the crowd was amazed and they said, He does all things excellent. You think you can do a good job? Give him a shot at it. He can do more than you can seek, think, or imagine. He can exceed your expectations if you will trust him with it. So the altars are open. Isaiah and the team are going to worship. There's no official dismissal here at Celebration Church. You can leave when you want to leave. But I want to challenge you. Get out of the crowd. Meet with your Savior. And don't leave this place the same way you came in. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you that in a crowd of people, you saw one man who couldn't hear. And Lord, you loved him so much that you pulled him aside to make him whole. Lord, that you glory, that you relish our wholeness, that you long to make us whole and healed. And Lord, there are tonight people in this room who can hear, but they have other holes in their lives that you want to fill, that you want to touch, that you want to put your finger on and say, be opened. And Lord, tonight, let them see And feel the ministry that the deaf man felt. Let them feel you pull them out of the crowd. And in a place where you can speak life to them. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. Jesus, you are so good. Do what you do best. In Jesus' name, amen.